It is a tumultuous time in which we live. Tumultuous because of the uh, politics of the day, tumultuous because of the coronavirus that never seems to subside. It's increasing as we go creating devastation all around. It's a a very important time to ponder this interim between Christmas and New Year. And so this morning, I, I want to do something classically Reformed. That is Presbyterian. Reformed theology is the umbrella under which Presbyterians sit. And I want to talk to you about the church in the world and what our calling is to be, what our responsibilities are. And something I learned from my teacher, Doug Otati, who used to teach many, many years at Union Theological Seminary, is the church is called to be in, with, against, and for the world. Those four prepositions. Really critical for our understanding of what we're called to be as disciples of Jesus Christ in this interim time between Christmas and New Year as we ponder what this new year will look like, even as ominous as it looks. We are called to be in, with, against, and for. The first preposition in, that we're called to be in the world because God refuses to give up on the world. God refuses. As the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, all that is in it. God refuses to give up on the world. And so God became incarnate in the world. That's what we celebrate during the season of Advent. And that's what we're lifting up and trying to live into, trying to wrap our heads around. God becoming incarnate. To other religions around the world, it's a scandalous thing, you know. In the Gospel of John, you probably read this on Christmas Eve or heard it read. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a radical statement. Now, what's interesting about that is the word flesh there isn't just human flesh. It connects to all flesh. It's kind of like the Word became meat and dwelt among us. The Word became part of the creation, all of it. And that is significant for us because it doesn't just connect us to our humans. It connects us to animal life. It connects us to earth life. And in this day of environmental crisis, that is so critical for us to ponder that God became part of the earth. We should know that. Good Presbyterians should know that. This is a classic Presbyterian church, by the way. In fact, I've never served a classic Presbyterian church. All the Presbyterian churches I've served have had had stained glass in the window, so you couldn't see outside. Now, you can't see outside very well, but you can kind of see out there. And a classic Presbyterian church, the windows are clear because you come into the church to be reminded that God is in the world. And God is imprinted in everything in the world, from the birds of the sky to the fish of the sea to every human face. God is imprinted, God's God's image. And even more radical than that, God became flesh. Theologian Sally McFaig says the world is God's body. That's a powerful notion. That all of us are connected deeply to one another because we're connected deeply with God. 
That's what the great commandment is about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of who we are. And then love your neighbor as yourself. So you love your neighbor because that's who God loves. Even if your neighbor is, is an enemy, you love your neighbor because that's who God loves. And there's more to that. Because God became flesh. God got into the vulnerability of God's creation. Wow, what a powerful notion into the vulnerability of God's creation. Rachel Held Evan has a beautiful notion of what baptism is. is to be baptized is to follow God into where God is gardening. And where God is gardening is the scorched earth, dead on arrival, places of the world, including those places in our own lives. That's where God gardens. God is in the messiness of the creation, in those very vulnerable places of the creation. God is in the vulnerability of a homeless woman or man. When I was in my ministry in Washington, D.C., we had a profound ministry to the homeless, and they would be all around the church. New York Avenue Presbyterian Church sits two blocks from the White House, and there's a huge amount of homelessness there. And people would would, would always ask the question, what do you do with this? Well, what you do is you minister in the midst of it because we're deeply connected, one with the other, deeply connected. The image of God is there as well as in me. There's no difference. There's no difference. And so for God not to give up on God's creation means that we never give up on anybody, anything in God's creation. We are always profoundly in it always at all times and places. I'm reminded of the great rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who distinguished between the prophet and an ordinary person. He says the ordinary person, I'm going to use the analogy of the homeless here, the ordinary person would look at a homeless homeless man or woman and say, isn't that too bad? A prophet, on the other hand, will look at a homeless person and say, oh my God, the world is undone. And because God refuses to give up on God's good creation, that's what we're called to be too. We're in the world as God's good creation that God refuses to give up on. But we're also with the world. And what Otati, my teacher, says about that is we confess our common sins. And we do that. That's the one thing we do so distinctive about Presbyterians. We come together and we confess our sins every Sunday. That's very important. We confess our common sins. It's a really important thing that we kind of ponder, especially in this season of Christmas and moving into the new year, because I think we're ever more of the brokenness of the world during this season than perhaps more than any other time of year. When we see the lights, we see the joy that's supposed to be all around us, we see it's supposed to be celebration, and yet there is not. There's not. People are still broken broken badly sometimes. And we confess our complicity in the brokenness of the world. We confess that. It's interesting to ponder that in light of the story that we've just heard about Christmas because Jesus was born a refugee child. You know that. He was on the road. His parents were on the road. And he was born not in a home, but in a stable. And that's in in Luke's gospel. In Matthew's gospel, it's even more radical. He is fleeing the terrors of Herod, and he is fleeing to Egypt. He's a refugee child that takes refuge in a foreign country. Mexicans captured this in a rite 
that is practiced during Christmas called Los Posados. And what would happen is Los Posados is that an angel and the Holy Family would go from house to house and ask for lodging and be rejected over and over again. There is what some would call a political version of this that happens on the border between Mexico and the United States every year. In fact, I know what happened this year where a holy family would come to one side of the wall that separates the United States from Mexico and there would be people on the other side of the wall and the holy family would ask for lodging and they would be rejected on the other side. We always need to be reminded that Jesus was a refugee. Jesus comes to us as a refugee. Jesus comes, ask for lodging in all of our homes. And when we don't give it, which we don't, too often we don't. And we know we don't. We're complicit in the world and the brokenness of the world. But there's forgiveness. There's restoration. That also happens in Presbyterian worship. We are set on right paths of righteousness. That word can also be translated, righteousness can also be translated justice. It's important to remember that as you use that word. We are called to be in the world as God's good creation that God refused to give up on with the world and confessing our common sin and our interconnectedness with the sins of the world. And we are called to be against the world against the world in prophetic judgment. But remember, we do that from the standpoint of a penitent. Before we do that, so we don't do that out of arrogance. We do that understanding that we're connected to the sins of the world, and then we stand against the world in prophetic judgment. That story also comes out at Christmas time. In fact, I think some of the most radical stuff in the entire Bible comes out at Christmas time. Do you remember Mary's Magnificat? That's a radical story. God will pull the mighty down from their thrones and lift those of low degree. God will fill the hungry with good things and send the rich away empty. God will scatter the proud in the imagination of their hearts. That's not Karl Marx talking. That's Mary. It's a radical gospel. It's a radical gospel that calls us to stand in solidarity with the marginal of the earth, including the marginal right here. To stand in solidarity and be, as as my teacher used to say, to be prophetic nuisances in the world, to be past. But that brings me to the fourth preposition. We are in the world as God's good creation that God refused to give up on, with the world confessing our common sin, against the world and prophetic judgment of the world, because we are following the God who is for the world. For the world. As my teacher says, God's trajectory is not always easy to make out, but we know it moves towards God's commonwealth, God's kingdom. That, to me, is the new Jerusalem come down out of heaven. It's the last vision of the Bible. It's the most radical vision of the Bible, where the goods of the earth are there for all people. The pearly gates, you remember that? Well, read that passage. They're not closed gates. They're open gates. They're open all the time, day and night. 
and the jewels on the gates are for all the people. The streets of gold, it says something contradictory about those streets. It says they're transparent, but they're also pure gold. Now, what does that mean? Is that a bad translation of scripture? No. It, it's very, very interesting. It's transparent because there are no backroom deals. And it's gold because streets are the most common things we have. So the resources of the world are for everyone. For everyone. Walter Brueggemann, the great biblical scholar, has said that the Bible can be told as a myth of scarcity and a litany of abundance. Abundance is, begins in Genesis. And it even ends in the Holy Jerusalem, abundance for all people. But in the middle, there's the myth of scarcity. Pharaoh starts it. Pharaoh says, there's not enough, I'm going to grab it all. And then everyone seems to follow. And so you have this contest between the myth of scarcity and the politics of abundance or the, or the litany of abundance throughout. And it's a powerful notion that what God is calling us to is abundance for all people. It's not a sum zero game, it's a win-win game. That's what God calls us to. When you win, I win. When God's goodness comes to you, it comes to me. When you have peace, I have peace. When you have justice, I have justice. Dr. King said it so well. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So we're called to be about that because we're all interconnected. Because God is for the world. God is in the world, refusing to give up on God's good creation calling us to be with the world and confessing our sin, calling us to be in prophetic judgment of the world because God is for the world. And the world is calling us to abundance, to a win-win for all people. And that's what we're about even in these very tragic times. 800,000 deaths by coronavirus. A politics that seems hopelessly polarized, but we're called to be faithful because God is faithful. We're called to be in, with, against, because we're for the world. Amen.